Prisun has been around the triathlon world forever. He's been a journo, he's been a muckraker, he's been a raconteur, he's also been someone who has been at the forefront of some pretty big triathlon news and events, including his work in Triathlete Magazine, also Lava Magazine, and then back into the industry uh, with uh, the likes of Canyon, etc. He's a guy who has seen so much and it's been a great honour to have a chat to him and to pick his brain about what he thinks about the world of triathlon, where it's headed and what he's seen along the way. You're listening to The Life of Tri. It's triathlon for your ears. So you say you're drinking coffee late at night. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Well, I'm getting ready to have dinner in another hour or so, but I tend to have a little leftover uh, leftover breakfast coffee and have some of my Kona coffee leftover. So just kind of kind of taking some baby sips on that. <laughs> Are you going to feel weird not being in Kona this year? It's going to be so odd. It's been, gosh, the first time I was in Kona was 1999, and I've been there every year since until this year. Wow just wild wow that's a that's a big stretch yeah long 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 uh gosh just sit there and think of all the athletes that i've seen all the amazing things i've seen from from then until now it's a long run so 99 when you first went there who are you with who are you working for uh i just started with triathlete magazine um publisher john duke had uh he had he had um been looking for a person to fill in the senior editor position and um uh liked my experience i'd worked in a bike shop and i worked in newspapers for several years and liked that combination of experience and uh, brought me aboard and i remember the first day i walked into the office he he told me you know i was like you know taking it dead serious i wanted this job so bad and i had a tie on and was like super formal and anybody that's met john duke he's the absolute opposite (laughs) Opposite of that, calmed <laughs> down really well. <laughs> he's got a forked tongue, fork tongue, and he's like, "All right, I'm bringing you on board, but take off that fucking tie and never fucking wear it in front of me again." <laughs> so it was it was t-shirts and shorts after that. So it was great. Um, but yeah, that first year, I, he's, they're like, "Yep, yeah, this is your office." I walked in there, and there was a ticket on the desk to Kona, and that was the start of it all. 1999. Wow, that's awesome. That's a really cool. Um, that again, that sort of turn of the centuries when Americans still had a shot at winning, kind of is that? Yeah, yeah. There weren't a whole lot of um, uh, options, but um, you know, Tim DeBoom was really the the biggest one. Um, Ryan yeah. Bolton was a big name back then, but he was an Olympian, kind of making a, a transition. Um, but Tim was definitely the the guy that everybody had their hopes for for stars and stripes. It. it it's, oh, we've been we've talked a little bit about Kona with various people who've come on this, and it's it's uh, it's obviously a zoo. How do you how do you wade through it and not you know get caught up in it? I mean, is it you've got to be fairly impartial, don't you, as a as a journo or someone covering it? But have you had times where you've kind of just been, holy shit, look at what's happening here? Can I can remember following Kindler on the moto when yeah. he was when he won his first, um, and I I just remember just putting the camera down. And going, wow, this guy's flying. Yeah. Yeah, there's moments. There's definitely gotten moments when you're like, you're wrapped up in it and you're, I mean, it's a long day and you're exhausted. And you're just like, man, these guys are just full stick. They're just going for it. And and you just have to sit back and look at 
the speedometer on the motorcycle and you're going you're like man these guys are just crushing each other and it's still it's just so amazing you never get jaded i mean even even the cannon every year going off i don't care what race it is whether it's kona or or you know where it is in the world like the cannon starts and man it's 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 all hands on deck but yeah getting ready for something like that is crazy from making sure you've got you know i'm sure you know how this is as well making sure you've got your your computer and your charger and your adapter for you know your international adapter so you can plug the thing into the wall um yep. and then bringing your camera and it's the camera and the the tripod and the monopod and the all the chargers for those and and all that stuff and making sure all that stuff's charged making sure nothing's broken um yeah but it's it's uh it's funny you mentioned you know hard to be impartial i remember one year um Maca came out to recon the race. He hadn't raced it yet and uh, flew in with he and Pete Colson and Nikila Jones at the time. We all flew in together on the same flight from San Diego. And, and he's just, man, I'm going to crush this race. This is going to be a piece of cake. I'm just, I can't wait to come out here and see how this is going to be. And obviously we know how that worked for the first, first few years. <laughs> Didn't work out quite the way he had planned. He eventually figured it out, but, um, but, I remember, you know, night before the race, he's like, Hey, I'm going to head, head to Lulu's. I'm going to this bar, this famous bar in Kona. Um, going to Lulu's for some drinks. He should come out night before the race. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he's like a pie piper. And, you know, three hours later, I've, I've already got, I don't know how many beers in me. And I'm like, Oh, this is not good. I'm, I got to cover the race. <laughs> like, first I got to figure out a way home to get like maybe two hours of sleep and get my gear together and get out, get down to the pier for the start. Um, the editor at the time, uh, Christina Gandolfo, she didn't wake me. She let me sleep. And it was probably, I don't know, 30 minutes to, to the start. And at the time, the ad sales director for triathlete magazine was Sean Watkins from Wadi Inc. And he mm -hmm. comes bursting in the room. He's like, dude, what are you doing here? You should be down there at the pier. I'm like, Oh my God. He like raced me down there and dumped me off. I'm like, well, I still owe him for that one. But, uh, yeah, that what was, was um, what was your impression of him though? When he, when he shows up, when Macca shows up and he's got full chested, isn't he? I mean, I, I, I was talking to some guys who are on that truck and oh, he was screaming at everyone. He was what? Was he like he was screaming at people on the on you know as he was riding along, telling them how easy this was? Yeah, yeah, he was like, I mean, you pull up next to him and he's just like, "This is cake." I remember that first year he did it. He's like, "This is going to be easy." You pull up next to him and I'm like, "God, I love that bravado." And yeah, and you know, come the run, he's I don't know, 15k into it, just got up onto up uh, Polani and up onto Queen K, and he's walking, and I'm. I'm actually in the chase van with um, with John Duke and with um, at the time he was sponsored by Kestrel Bicycles and the CEO for that company um, was in the van with us and he was crushed. He was like, I can't believe this. I, I'm going to drop out. I've got to drop out. And he just kicked himself a bunch and he ended up dropping out, loading his bike into the into our van and we had to turn around and take him back to, to town and he was just like, fuck, I can't believe this. I, I can't believe myself. And he's like looking out the window and Ken Glaw is heading in the other direction out towards uh, the energy lab. 
and he sees Ken. Ken stops and he starts spewing, just just vomiting, just a huge rainbow of stuff onto the ground. He's like, Ken's like much, so much more of a man than I am. I can't believe it. I'm out here being a complete pussy and he's out there just giving his all. Like he just got so down on himself. And obviously he was able to rally a few years later and get it. But uh, man, yeah. the see out there, it's insane. Wow. What a, I mean, yeah, he was so, I remember, because I watched him do his first Ironman uh, in Australia. Hmm. And, you know, he ran down Craig Walton, who was a notorious swim biker oh, yeah. um, and extremely, extremely gifted. Um, and he got Waldo, but he said that, you know, for the first 25 Ks of the marathon, he was just cruising. And he said, then the piano fell on his shoulders. Hmm. But when he went to Kona, that man, he took the boxer's attitude, didn't he? He went full MMA and just yep. <laughs> swaggered in and just said, you turkeys, I'm going to own it. But uh, it took a little while for him to figure it out. But once he did, there was he was a sideshow, wasn't he? When he came to Kona, he was a real, um, as you said, the Pied Piper. He would show up, and people would just gravitate to that sort of uh, energy. Totally, yeah. I remember. I mean, we we had headlines around his his bravado, whether he was going to do it or not. It's like the odds are the gods. That was one of the famous ones we had for Triathlete Magazine, and uh, yeah, there was always going to be like a like you said a circus sideshow, like the the whole Maca versus Norman thing. I mean, I've, you know, myself and TJ Murphy were kind of party to that because we were the ones that were basically, you know, I, you know, I'm doing an interview with Norman and he says all the stuff and I'm like, Oh God, I got to go talk to Maca. I got to tell him about this. I'm like, go just with Norman. And he said, da, 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 da. he's like, Oh really? You know what? And then I'm like on record. I'm like, dude, I'm on record, bro. He's like, no worries, mate. <laughs> he's just like, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do that. And then of course they got into their little, you know, mini punch up at the, uh, at the Kona Brewing Company in the evening. But, uh, yeah, it's, it was fun to kind of be a part of that whole thing. It, it's kind of though, we, we, triathletes are so nice. It, it, this is, you know, it's not, I mean, I'm sure there are rivalries around, but it wasn't as overt, was it? I mean, I know, mm-hmm. you know, back in, back in the day in the nineties and, you know, you had Aaron Baker v Paul and you had Mark Allen versus Welsh versus Scott versus, mm-hmm. Whoever else, Paulie Kiru, who you know, throw a bunch of names around there who all wanted right. to be there, and they were that alpha, yeah, um, strutting around Kona. But it doesn't tend to be like that anymore, does it? I mean, you're still obviously deeply immersed in the industry, and you know, you wouldn't see a lot more or much of that, at least when the red light's on. Yeah, not too much. I mean, athletes now they, you know, they're they're cultivating their own their own kind of culture through social media on their own. Um, which is which is good, but you just don't see that that head to head kind of kind of thing. Um, you see a little bit of it. There's some there's sometimes some little fun smack talk on social here and there, but usually it's you can tell that those guys are, are good mates and they're just kind of doing it for for the show. Yeah, there's not that real intensity, is it? Like you know, right. there's not Murphy Ryan Schreiber telling um, Greg Welsh not to train with Mark Allen anymore because he's <laughs> you know you've got to beat him and there's. You know, Aaron Baker and uh, Paul and Newby was a classic too because they clearly had a lot of dislike, um, which added something to a race, doesn't it? You know, it adds a little bit now, as you said. And you're, I mean, you're obviously, you know, deeply immersed in the industry as well as social media as well. And, you know, you understand that that landscape. But I think if athletes, like you look at someone like a Starkey who puts out the most outrageous shit on his Twitter and it's right. stupid, but it's it's a stick, right? Like that's his thing. Right. Um he lives and dies by the sword. Right. So 
he gets lambasted for that or, you know, is it risky? Is it risk adverse from, from a product point of view? So if you're directing, you know, athlete A, would you tell them to be up and about or would you tell them just to, you know, toe the line and, and, and do the pretty stuff? No, I'd say go for it. I mean, like I'm looking at Sam Long as an example right now. I remember when he first came into this yeah. thing. I mean, I'm like, who's this kook? Like he's talking all this game and then he just backs it up. And I'm like, all right, he can talk because he's backing it up. It's one thing to talk and, and not have anything to back it up with, but he's going out there and going after Lionel Sanders for some of these Strava segments and, and, and taking them. I'm like, dang, hats off. Like, um, you know, for the short time that I was working with Wadi, I was working with Sam a bit and, you know, finally get to know this guy. I'm like, dang, he's just a confident kid and, and can do all the things that he's, you know, is saying, but he's also drawing attention to himself with his, with his, you know, his sponsors with Wadi, with Argon 18, these guys, like they appreciate it because, you know, sitting on your hands, especially right now where there's a pandemic going on, there's no races, you know, he's showing some good value to his sponsors um, where otherwise he's not able to say like, Hey, like I got this result, this result, and this result this year. And it's like, Hey, I've went out and, you know, engaged with, with all these fans and, you know, there's no race results, but I'm able to engage and, and that helps build brand awareness and, for sure. There's, I, you know, I'm all about like having people go out and say things and, and, uh, be, be flamboyant or be, uh, controversial. You know, it's, it's good for the brands. It's good for the athlete for sure to kind of build their own personal brand. And the, the pandemic's really got, like got everyone obviously offside with no racing and stuff. If I have to watch, listen to another VR, it's a, it's a grim time. Isn't it? The commentary out of the VR stuff is just grim. Um, but <laughs> I just, I'm just having a couple of, I'm going to get shtick for this, I know. But um, athletes have had to really find other ways, haven't they, to obviously maintain their relevance. And it's, it's like everything, you know, the workplaces have figured out that, hey, I don't need to rent office space because people can do a job from home as well as they can from an office. So, you know, it's this evolving culture. And the right. same sort of sits true with this, doesn't it? Because athletes are going, well, okay, I may not have a great year in terms of results, but if I've got a really strong game on, you know, any of platform that I could do, then I'm somehow still relevant. Totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's really all there is right now um, until races get going again. Um, and you can see quite clearly the, the athletes that are, are, you know, really making it, you know, Lionel's, Lionel's a big one. Sam Long's a big one. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's critical to, to get out there and, and talk, you know, it's good. And I guess, you know, I look at um, a guy like Talbot Cox, who's working with, with Rainey and T.O., um, yep. same thing, like those guys are busy and they've, they've got, you know, a new, a new one on the way. They've got a baby and a new baby on the way. They're busy, but at the same time, they recognize like, I've got to, you know, without, without racing going on, let's let people into our lives and, and, um, see how it is behind the, behind the curtain a little bit. Um, and you know, that's, that's huge value to people as well to kind of like get the behind the scenes experience without races going on. What's training like, what's how, what's daily life like you know what are they eating when before they're going out for a, a big training session like all the little things like that that you know maybe in during the season during the you know main training season athletes are just too tired to do something like that but this is their opportunity and having someone like Talbot to be able to kind of look, look at and look at a season and go like okay what can we provide that's valuable to 
to viewers, plus, you know, interesting to, to sponsors to engage with. And, um, yeah. It's such a neat play though, isn't it? You know, like the, you're right. And it's how much do you let people in? Yeah. Um, but we're also used to that being that, that voyeuristic, you know, with the, increase in these types of things like even just you know you look at the mainstream sports like nfl watching hard knocks or something like that which you know goes a little bit deeper into the behind the scenes kind of right. setup um and it has you know as you said lifting the curtain is fascinating and there are some really good personalities in um in the sport and getting access to that is hard because there's a huge cost to doing so Right. Um, and athletes are having to get smarter and, and work a little bit more collaboratively like ever here. And we've got uh, Corrupt, who we were talking to a couple of weeks ago. Yep. He's working with Tim Burkle and um, Tim Reid and, you know, they all get sort of working in together to benefit. So it's becoming more of a collaboration with athletes and these guys like yourself and, and Corrupt and Talbot Cox who can put this stuff together or at least plan it for them. Um, it's it's a tough gig, isn't it, to to be constantly thinking of of new shit to do and to engage. Totally, yeah. It's I, my hats off to those guys, to to Glenn and and Talbot and all these guys that have. have I mean, it's it's hard work, and obviously the athletes as well. They have to, you know, there's a lot of coordination that goes on with it, with that stuff to to get together with with Lionel for for Talbot in that ex- instance to fly to to Tucson or to, you know, Toronto or whatever and, and bring all this stuff and to, to set all that up. It's, it's a thing and it's an expense for sure too. So, um, but it's valuable. Does the sport come out better for what's happening now or are we going to come out fucked? Is it, you know, like, is it, I feel like, you know, 22, everyone's talking 2021 um, is going to be, obviously things are reopening. Um, but yeah, I, do you, do you think the sport's going to come out better for this experience of the pandemic? Uh, I, I would like to think so. I mean, I look at the sport on its face and it's generally a pretty, um, socially distant event anyway, apart from, you know, the swim crawls at the beginning. Um, I think it can weather it as long as, you know, some of these countries, um, you know, as long as people, you know, wear their masks and do the things that need to be done in order to kind of keep this, this thing from blowing up again. I'm a little bit uh, spooked by the way things are going here in the States, but uh, you know, it looks like obviously New Zealand's crushing it. Um, I think you guys are doing a lot. I think anybody's doing better than the U S right now, as far as like having the numbers kind of generally flatten or go down. But um, mm. yeah, as long as things kind of start uh, improving a bit, I, I think the sport will be all right. I think uh, people are looking for, uh, for an outlet for sure. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've worked in, you know, after the whole media thing wrapped up, I've, I've been working with, um, I worked for Canyon for a couple of years and now I'm working with American Bicycle Group, which, which is Quintana Roo Bicycles. And man, you wouldn't believe, I don't know how it is in Australia right now, but here in the States, the demand for bikes is through the roof and bikes are selling out because people are just, they want something to do. They're, they're cooped up and, um, you know, the normal outlets of activity aren't available so they can go out they want to go out and do something healthy and fun and maybe do something with their spouse. So they're definitely going out and buying bikes, which is great. Um, but I think that once races are start going, there'll be people will be clamoring. I mean, yeah, my, you know, my wife, Donna, she's, uh, she's coaching and, um, her, her clients are just, they're like every single week. They're like, when do you think that, our man Flores is going to go ahead. What do you think? And it's like, oh, we like to look at like, 
you know, is, is the, is COVID trending down? Do they have a, a Republican or Democrat governor that's going to allow or shut down, you know, the potential of, of a race? You know, it's, it's kind of touch and go right now, but definitely, I think, I think the sport will be, will be fine. I think it just, we just need to get through this. You're in San Diego and what's it like there? Is it, do you feel like there's a, um, I guess an adherence? I mean, in, in Melbourne at the moment, um, they've just canceled 70.3 Melbourne and they're the, the metro, I mean, regional because I live on the coast, but the guys in the city are in a stage four lockdown where they can't leave their house for an hour a day and they've got a, you know, a 5K radius that they can leave and that kind of thing. It's pretty strict, but today wow. they recorded something like 20, 20 something cases. So the number is descending rapidly. But do you feel like in San Diego and, and you know, like in, where you are, do you feel like it's it's there's a handle on it? It's generally a good handle. It kind of ebbs and flows. It's kind of going up a little bit. You know, every time the the governor allows, gives a, get a, gives a little leash, like indoor dining, we get a, we get a spike. And we just had yeah. indoor din- dining just uh, opened up again a couple of weeks ago, and we, we're getting a spike now. Um, it just kind of ebbs, ebbs and flows a little bit. Um, I'd say California as a, as a state is doing a lot better than some of our middle America states that there's a lot of entitlement. People feel like wearing a mask is a, uh, uh, I don't know. They feel like it's, it's some sort of, um, it's like putting handcuffs on them or something, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so they just yeah. re- resist that in general, but, uh, um, and those states are having a rougher go, but it's, uh, I think we're, I think we're as a country, I think we're in for a little bit of a winter and, and a spring. I think maybe spring, summer next year, I think we'll hopefully be generally open as long as, you know, some major changes, but, um, but I think people are definitely waiting, waiting to get back to racing again. And I think it's possible just, yeah. um, just, you know, I've talked to, to a few folks and, you know, there's, there's a lot of hope that, that an Ironman Florida might go ahead. There's, um, you know, there's a question about whether Arizona may go ahead. So it's, everything's kind of wait and see right now. Yeah. We've got cans in the 27th in 10 days, and I haven't heard anything from that either. I mean, it's still, um, yeah, it's sunny coast happened last weekend. So yeah. we may see it happening because um, Queensland, although there'll be no one traveling because the borders are generally shut for certain states, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. And you were you were involved in the um, – in, I guess your seats to races have been um, pretty decent given who you've worked for, obviously yeah. with triathlete and then with lava as well. Right. Um, that was the next thing. How much like the, the startup of that would have been an interesting one. And again, guaranteeing you the best seats in the house when you guys roll in. Cause I mean, those who don't know, when you go to Kona and you're a media, you get accredited, but you, there's the, the battle of the bands where, <laughs> certain color wristband gets you into certain areas and there's you know a lot of angst in that week for the media about how they're going to get access but the lava you guys would have been uh front and square totally yeah that'll happen when the ownership is wtc (laughs) um but uh yeah it it was interesting um you know you know we we you know a group of us left left triathlete magazine in order to start something that was a little bit different than triathlete. It was more of a high art, um, you know, long form journalism kind of publication. And it was so fun making that thing. It was, you know, it's a shame it went away. It was just a matter of, you know, print media was dying, but it was just fun to make the 
make the magazine that we always wanted to because you know Trapley magazine is is great and especially for beginners but it gets to be a little bit rote after after four years you see the same how to you know how to set up your transition area and how to you know all that stuff <laughs> it's like okay, we did that last year we're gonna do it again okay um yeah instead i was like doing you know stories about the advent of the arrow bar and talking to um richard bryan from speedplay and, and pete pensiers who did race across america with this weird he showed it to me this weird triangular piece of like masonite with pads built onto it and it was wild um so those were the kind of cool fun things that we got to do and, and take cool photos and run big big images um yeah yeah and, and it was it was amazing like you know some of the first assignments i had with lava were to was to go to germany um with this amazing photographer donald morale and do a, a feature with the railer brothers in their hometown of rostock in northern germany in the dead of winter and you know went there went to to leeds to go see the brownlee boys on their home turf and um yeah, yeah it was some super super cool assignments that we got to to go out on and you know triathlete wasn't necessarily interested in following the stories of the pros they just wanted to kind of like you know it, it, which is good again it's a good good thing to kind of get more people into the sport with little tips and tricks kind of stuff but like i love the stories all the, the background on the athletes and history of things yeah and it's kind of we we got the same way on first off the bike we were more pro focused um and not sort of local races and and right. we did we we begrudgingly did the tips and tricks because it's as you said it gets someone interested um but as you said once you do it once you know three ways to have a faster transition it's like oh jesus you know it's a real struggle to keep doing that but i think the love the lava um or love magazine created as you said bigger um imagery and there's a a website called cycling tips where um wade wilson wade wilson i'm thinking of deadpool aren't i um (laughs) where wade his last name wade um he just started writing tips about cycling and now this thing has grown and he built this big big beautiful screen wide website where you click on it and the imagery just comes and punches you in the face it's gorgeous yeah um which is kind of what you guys did in the magazine wasn't it was that sort of big powerful imagery and and really bold totally out um look at outlook on it yeah yeah those guys have like they're basically a web version of of our magazine but specific to cycling i you know two of the guys that are editors there james huang and and kaylee fretz live in boulder and they're yep. just crushing it on the daily, like just amazing content, beautiful photography, cool stories. Um, yeah. If I had my time back, that's definitely where I've gone to digital. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how it started. Like, I mean, Wade literally sat in his room and was giving you a tip each day. He'd just write a new tip. Mm. And then they just, as you said, they just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we, I had a lot of conversations with Wade um, when he was in that sort of about to sell the bike exchange and, and bigger things. And, you know, he was always really super ambitious. The guy had a massive vision and, you know, that website's really fantastic. And the, the I remember his photographer, Vareel would get out and shoot just big, colorful stuff, yeah. which was you know, obviously, uh, and they ran really clever media campaigns too. The, um, the What You Missed This Morning campaign was fantastic where they had cyclists just sending in photos of beautiful images that they took when they're out on their bike and it's mm-hmm. what you missed, you know. And 
that thing went nuts. People oh, were right. always engaging in that. It's just a really cool thing. I do. I'm a bit old school too. I do like the idea of a magazine, um, but it's just not sustainable. I mean, people don't look at it, do they? I mean, you would have found that you know towards the end it was just starting to dwindle. Yeah, I mean, people already know the news, how the race went. Um, by the time they pick it up, they're just looking at the pictures. And same thing with with any you know new product launches, you know, a new new bike, new components, whatever, new wheels. People already knew, so putting it in the magazine is just redundant. Um, but, uh, yeah, same thing. It's like, I s- still love getting a Sunday newspaper, flipping through that thing while watching, watching yeah. the tour or something like that. Um, yeah, totally old school too. I mean, I, I grew up as a newspaper guy as, as well, working in newspapers in Seattle and, and Tucson. So I guess it's going to be ingrained in me forever. <laughs> How hungry are people for, like you work, you know, you've been to Canyon, um, which obviously, given who they had on their books and still on their books, um, how was that working with those guys and and you know getting to spend time with some legitimate you know superstars? Yeah, that was that was an interesting transition from being a journalist to being a kind of a marketing guy. Um, got lucky to to have have Canyon literally set up their USA operations here in the San Diego area in Carlsbad spent a couple of years there doing marketing and learned a ton under some really, really bright, bright guys. Um, I've got so much respect for Roman Arnold and the, and the entire Canyon USA team, uh, Blair Clark, those guys um, with, you know, being the first company to do direct to consumer, hundred percent direct to consumer um, in the U S and it certainly made, made retailers upset, but uh, I think people are getting over it. But it's it's it was cool to kind of like uh, for those couple of years that I worked there, um, you know, even last year in Kona, I you know kind of put together the whole uh, Kona program for press conferences and um, you know activations and things, making sure that that there was like swag for athletes for um, that were racing that were that were racing on Canyon bikes, um, getting. Uh, uh, you know, any of the activations that were going on around around athletes and stuff, we were definitely a part of that. Um, it was cool to work, obviously, with with uh, with Lionel and and Jan and uh, gosh, all the. I mean, there were so many so many athletes, uh, Laura Phillip and and these guys that uh, that all raced there. And it's cool to just you know see the professionalism that their team had when they show up in Kona and they've got their pro mechanics and they're working on Jan's bikes and. Um, yeah, it was it was next level. It was like Tour de France level stuff. Um, is um, is Yarn World as um, super pro as everyone thinks? Is this we? As, I'm sorry, say again. Yarn World. So the oh, Fredino World. It's ridiculous. I mean, he he just strikes me like I always thought Crow is the pros pro, but Crow is probably still putting his own bikes together. Maybe. Yeah. No. Where is Yeah, he's got he's got a team for everything, and and really everything's compart- compart- yeah, compartmentalized. Um, he's got his own mechanic that works on just his bike. Doesn't work on anybody else's bikes. Um, it's, it's remarkable. Um, you know, everything, there's no, you know, like I wanted to get him together for a press conference. This is the Canyon press conference. And he said, Nope, I've already committed to this, this, and this. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And you know, that's the way it is. And he knew that he's saying no to Roman Arnold, a guy that's paying him a pretty big check, but, same time, he also knows his, his job is to perform on race day. Um, 
but he also was, you know, giving up a ton of his time, whether it's an Oakley press conference to launch. And that, that also involves the bike as well. Um, you know, uh, all of Ironman's, you know, obligations that they ask of, of the defending champions. Um, he's definitely putting himself out there a lot. So he definitely has a, a big team that, um, basically says yes and no to a lot of stuff. And there's no, there's no slack time in his, in his week leading up to Kona. Not, not a minute. You don't, you don't get to Is it- get a chatter with him. It's just, you know, he's in for an event, he's out and that's it. There must be massive pressure though, isn't it? Like the, the week leading up for someone like him, um, and you're coordinating a range of things around your product. Obviously he's got a number of things on the go, but the amount of uh, requests or the pressure that you would have got um, for his time, was it pretty big? I, it's, it's gotta be ridiculous. It's, I mean, obviously we had our, we had our request denied. Um, you know, I, there's, there's gotta be a lot of philanthropic stuff he's doing. There's other sponsors, there's media, the Ironman media for, you know, pre-race NBC videos. Um, he also needs to get his training in. He needs to get his sleep in. He's got to get some breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's drive time. You know how slow it is just getting around town. Um, yeah. Although he did manage to find a nice little spot that's pretty close so you can kind of dive in and dive out. So he doesn't have to deal with too much of the elite drive chaos. But um, um, yeah, he's, man, I don't envy him. Or I don't envy any defending champion because the heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Is he? Um, and I mean, I suppose too, though, in the dealings you had with him with Canyon, but he'd be fairly. Um, I would imagine he wouldn't be terribly hard to work with. He seems like a, the number of times we'd spoken to him, he seemed like a pretty genuine fella. Yeah, no, he's just the best of the best, super pro. Um, I remember going to Germany to cover Ironman. I'm at Frankfurt and had already arranged with him before the race. I'm like, Hey, I'd love to do a feature. This is a feature for Lava Magazine cover feature. And he's like, yep, let's do it. Uh, after the race in Girona. And I'm like, sick. I'm down with that. So he went on to win the race. So he's in a fantastic mood. Um, <laughs> that helps. So, uh, did the, did, you know, did the race coverage and then flew to Girona on my own. He flew on his own, got met up with him there and just got to, go swim with him, um, join him, uh, followed to take photos, but follow him on a, just a spin down bike ride. Um, got to see his place. He and Emma have a lovely little place in Drona and nice little pedestal with his, um, Beijing gold medal just set up on the top of it. Um, <laughs> you know, going out and having amazing, uh, tapas for dinner with them and just kind of see how he lives. And he was just so amenable and gave so much of his time, but it was, it was obviously one of those things where this is the perfect time to do, do an interview and kind of see how he is in a relaxed situation because again, his job is to perform. And I think when he's on, he's hundred percent on and you know, you can't really get any time. He's very, he's very, you know, professional and cordial about it and saying, Nope, sorry, I can't, don't have the time. But man, when he's got his downtime, he's like, you know, Hey, let's go out let's get some bocadillos and have a nice little lunch and drink some bubbly water and chill out. And, just had a blast with him. Super, super good pro and just a good dude. Yeah, he seems. I like. I like his setup too. I just think if I was, you know, the the pro, it's it, it's obviously okay if you've got the financial backing, which clearly he does, and it's earned. I'm not giving any any away here, but oh, cool. yeah, the way he does it is so good. 
is that he's, you know, got one guy for his bike and he's not having to sit there and trying to build a bike out of a box and, you know, because there's a real, I mean, there's a real amateur sort of feel for many of the pro- inverted commas professionals. Right. Um, who I don't rate as professional. I, there are some pros who just shouldn't be pros. There should just be age groupers and mm-hmm. they've got to accept that. Um, and there are some pros who are genius um, but still struggle to sort of make that grade. I mean, the, the pro setup is still a work in progress, isn't it? I mean, because you would think if there was a ton of money in the sport, everyone would be running the Fredino setup. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, Fredino is a different story too. You got, you know, last year, Canyon de- debuted a brand new cockpit and he was the the test mule for it. So, you know, certainly they have to have that mechanic there to build that whole thing up as well and keep it under cover so they can launch it proper in Kona. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. There's, there's the haves and then have nots, even in the pro ranks, there's, it's a big, big chasm. Um, You know, it's even for some of the best, you know, best pros guys that have won Ironmans, there's gotta be, they gotta, you know, there's gotta be a lot of them that have left Kona and lost money. And it's like, man, that's a hard way to go about your profession to give away money. I mean, like, (laughs) I just, I, uh, again, we've had this conversation ad nauseum, um, you know, over the years, but um, it, the idea of, you know, actually getting a, um, a proper professional setup, um, you know, where you have the, you know, and, and just looking at what being a pro means and having the top 30 in the world being the top 30 yeah. um, or the top 40, or whatever you want to have. Um, and those who can't make the grade, I mean, shit, I want to, you know, I want to be on the PGA tour, but I can't hit a ball out of sight. But if I was a triathlon, I could play a PGA event just by signing up. Right. Um, the PTO are starting to make inroads into prize money and, you know, functioning as a, as a, I guess, a proper vehicle for that. Have you had, have you seen the PTO's emergence in the last year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I, gosh, I wish, I wish we had old Brad Culp on the call to uh, get his two cents. <laughs> definitely. He's definitely, uh, got opinions on it. Um, you know, it's, it's strange to see Ironman, you know, turn that money away and challenges like, yeah, bring it. Love to give it to those pros. We don't have it, but if you've got it to give, then let's do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's been so many, I guess my, my trepidation has been so many fly by night, um, promises and operations and things like that. And PTO kind of came out of the block stumbling a little bit. So they didn't really, um, uh, how should I say it? I guess endear themselves straight away. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, I, I'm kind of on a wait and see kind of uh, mode with mm. those guys, but I'm, I'm glad to see that they're already starting to cut some checks to athletes. And I just want to see it trickle down from from 10th place to 20th and 30th and see those guys get some money. Not, not 20th, yeah. 30th, but... Um, from I should say from you know from the top five into the top fifteen, just so people can you know pay their airfare, their you know their gas to get home. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's it's such a weird thing, isn't it? Because you have the ITU challenge and um, Ironman all sort of circling the bowl, yep. and no one can put a definitive label on anything i mean the it is clearly legitimate you and i could start a company tomorrow and you know get a world title started you know it doesn't for me i just i struggle with it i always have um 
I don't dislike what the PTO is up to. I think they've got good intention. I think they're better set up than previous um, versions of them. Right. Um, when it first turned up, it was a joke, and it's nowhere near that now. And as you said, they're actually cutting checks and trying to do the right thing and 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 formalize some things, which is good. Um, but you know, it's still weird how Iron Man functions, and you know how Iron Man limits what everyone else can do to broadcast their own um, races. It's, it's it's odd. You would think that more, you know, more more eyeballs and more opportunity, but they want to protect and lock it down. It's just yeah, it's 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 tough. And I remember, gosh, I remember when they had the whole. Endurapix thing too, same thing. It was like, nope, you can't. You, I'm sure you remember that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You can only use a you know an Endurapix photographer, and um, that just didn't make any sense at all. Um, I, I was on the I was on the the good side of that for a little while, which was, but it, I felt completely awkward about it because I have a lot of good friends that were, you know, professional photographers that were not able to, you know, they were locked out of being able to do stuff um officially and get an official you know credential or whatever um yeah it's iron man's they sometimes <laughs> leave me head scratching my head i guess yeah they just they, some of the stuff they did with us too i mean i remember when we brought in toyota into um as one of our sponsors on first off the bike and we started making really amazing videos of their races mm-hmm. And then they came to us, saw the first one. Anytime you jump Iron Man, they hate it, right? Anytime oh, you yeah. give something anything that's new that they haven't seen, they're like, fuck, man. Oh, hang on. So we created some really cool content. And then we got this letter from them saying, from now on, you can only use 90 seconds of footage when you go to a race. We're like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Like, how? It's a 17 hour event. We are creating stuff that looks like it could be a showreel for a tourism ad. Right. And telling us not, yeah, <laughs> it, they, you, you jump them and they don't like it. And right. I, I, I struggle with how they're going to keep control over everything given you've got such a big course where you and I could set up on Elite You Drive tomorrow with a, with a phone right. and broadcast shit, not be accredited and run our own race, yeah. essentially. Totally. You know, they own the right stuff, but if you're, that, the, the rights only matter if you're accredited. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a weird how they hang on to, to all this. Totally, yeah. It was just it was hilarious when Eric Wynn decided he, you know, Eric Wynn was a photographer and that's um, right. Boy, he uh, he was you know doing some photography for Specialized, who was working with NACA at the time, and uh, they didn't like his tone and stuff, and they decided they didn't want to give him a credential. And man, legendary. He he rented a chopper and and took photos of Maca on the Queen K during the race. Amazing, amazing shots that you wouldn't have gotten from any of the motos, obviously. Um, that was a big fuck you to Iron Man saying you can't control the airspace and, and the photography. Like I'm going to get shots for right. regardless. Um, yeah. That was epic. Absolutely epic. It was absolutely, it was the best middle finger I've seen. Yeah. Um, to Iron Man ever. And, you know, again, it's like we're saying, like I remember talking to them and saying, hey, we want to do live interviews, shoot it. And this is when, again, well, I'm going back years, right? This is before live was a thing. Right. And we're going, hey, there's this, you know, uh, Periscope, I think it was, an app. Yeah. And I said, you can put stuff in live and, you know, and they're like, well, you can't. We're like, well, no, we want it, the race is finished. We just want to interview, you know, John Smith who wins the race live. 
well, no, you can't. I'm like, what the fuck? You, what do you mean? And they're like, well, no. and then before you know it, they're starting to figure it out and they go, oh, maybe we can do stuff live. Right. Like they really are. I mean, at that point, I mean, maybe things are different now, but boy, they're, um, they don't like being beaten and they certainly don't like things being taken out of context. As soon as you sign that dotted line to be accredited, there is an entire world of hurt you've got to go through to make sure that you don't step over the line because right. uh, cease and desist letters are on file at that joint, I would have thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know that, I mean, geez, I remember talking to the guys from Scott Bikes and they had set, set up a an ad congratulating Sebastian Kainley for being Ironman world champion. It's like, uh, you can't use the word Ironman in your ad. It's like, wow. Like, wow. It's the same thing. It's like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. It's like they're yeah. promoting your brand, but you don't want that promoted because you want to protect it for no good reason. Crazy. Yeah, it is. I, I've, I fail to see the logic in a lot of this stuff. Obviously, it's a bit over my pay grade. I would have thought there's some lawyer telling someone that this is a good move. But um, given it's, it's – and it's kind of cottage, isn't it? Like the – you know, websites pop up, blogs pop up, podcasts pop up, um, you know, people just start things and, and get going. And that's that's the thing. Whereas in other more, I guess, bigger sports like tennis and golf and, you know, NFL and, and then there's those spin-offs, but they're not as, um, I guess, then it's not as, I guess, organic or as not as um, cottage as what triathlon is because the sport is still figuring out how to be professional. Yeah, totally. It's... Uh... It's definitely crazy times. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Hope they'll figure it out. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't. Well, being sold and things like that, maybe the new owners have a different view on things. Yeah. Um, but it's it's you know it's it's the constant selling of this thing, and it's you know it's been sold three times I think since I've been floating around. Um, it certainly is a tough one. Um, the one thing that I did find always humorous in Kona was the cattle truck for media. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Oh yeah. Uh, that was my, probably my first, first and second year. I was out on the cattle truck. And, yeah. I definitely took my time. That was, those were amazing days. <laughs> just getting yeah, blown, blown around for, for six hours. Just, you know, it's 90 something degrees and 90% humidity. And, you know, back then nobody had the foresight to maybe pack a, you know, a cooler full of um, uncrustable sandwiches or whatever, but uh, you're just like basically eating. Although actually, um, yeah, there's, there's usually basically, you know, you're, e- you're eating and drinking from the aid stations just to survive the day. Um, although yeah. there's, I don't know if the truck ever stopped. Maybe it did a couple of years at Manalani where they had the huge buffet spread with fresh mm. fish and vegetables and cold sodas and, um, yeah, that was. I don't know if they do that anymore, but that was always a nice little stop to to get it like a proper meal um, out on the yeah. Okay. I can remember getting the one year right towards the end before we sold, we got a bike for the Queen K. Yeah, and the difference in that experience versus the cattle truck, which literally is a flatbed truck with sides on it, where they throw in thirty journos or photographers in there and they take you to various points on the course and it is a hellish <laughs> i don't know how occupational health and safety allows that sort of stuff um 
but it was, yeah, 70 miles an hour down the Queen K with a person driving who was as cranky as all fucking you hanging on for dear life at the back. Um, Cause that was the year, the year I did it. Lieto was in transition first, mm. Chris. Yeah. And we'd missed all that because he was going that quick. They didn't figure it out. They couldn't, yeah. There's no way that big truck, lumbering truck is going to be catching, catching Lieto out front. Just, just, I can't tell you how many times, I've, even on a moto, I can't tell you how many times I've missed you know, the, the bomb back into T2 because the guys are just, just absolutely flying. It's, it's tough. To, I mean, especially if you're trying to cap, capture, you know, what's going on in the women's race as well. You're just spreading oh. for a massive, uh, massive deal. Um, I guess that's why, you know, certainly in my later years of, of shooting the race, you know, you, you choose one or the other, you shoot, you're shooting the men's race or you're shooting women's race because it's just too expansive to, to navigate and it's too dangerous to be flying up and down the queen K trying to go from, you know, the middle of the, the women's pro race all the way to the front of the men's race. You're just like hauling ass at hundred something miles an hour. And it's, I've done, you know, they're usually pretty good about speeds on, on the queen K, but at other races like in Frankfurt, like we'd hop onto the Autobahn and the guys on his BMW and we're going, we had to been going 130 miles an hour. And I'm just like, Oh, if I don't know this guy from Adam and, you know, if he makes a wrong move or some dude cuts us off, we're going to be like just a big red stain on the pavement. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's definitely interesting covering, <laughs> covering the race from a moto. I'm super happy that you actually got, got a little bit of experience on that because it's, it's a good time to watch a race and talk to the athletes too. Yeah, it is. And they get to know you a little bit and, you know, I can remember, um, in Cairns where they have that beautiful road up to Port Douglas and it's, um, it's a heritage listed road. Um, yeah. and yeah, I remember like trying to chase the men's race up there one year and it was wet and it's real windy and it's coastal. And my God, my moto guy thought he was Max Biagi <laughs> and it was just, the lead was out, man. It was just like, holy shit. Um, amazing bike handler, but yeah, not something I'd want to repeat terribly too often, yeah. to be honest. Um, yeah. Gosh, I but it was, uh, it, yeah. Let's say I remember going to Cairns um, about, gosh, I want to say six or seven years ago. And um, I remember watching the promo for that. And I'm like, that you're talking about that winding road. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to yeah. race this. So the Queensland, Queensland folks had me come out and allowed me to race the half. And then I peeled off all my motor stuff. I'm sorry, peeled off all my race stuff, put on my motor <laughs> stuff, and then went back on course to cover the full. And... I'll never ever do that again. That was brutal. It was seventy point three, and then go back out, <laughs> shoot the race, get back, edit photos, write a story, pack my bike, and be at the airport for seven a.m. flight back to um, San Diego. That was the that was the most brutal thing ever. <laughs> well, when you've gone full Delhi car, Delhi car likes to like jet in on Saturday night. Oh yeah, jet out on you know on Sunday on Monday morning. You yeah. know seven o'clock. Or that um it's a yeah it's a, certainly covering races is, is a fun time and it, you, you do get to see a little bit the um the media center at kona is always fun um i do remember uh you and your good mate brad culp sliding a, the odd beer or two my way um mm. during editing time and during writing time but it, it's um notoriously slow internet and oh, yeah. just this huge just everyone you've seen or you know you've read about all year just happens to float on in there it's actually a pretty decent time to uh to float in bob babbitt and those sorts of guys you know those sorts of staples at kona are um always interesting aren't they the um 
nothing beats the awkward look on a pro's face when Pancho Man is playing them in on a ukulele. <laughs> um, but those guys, the longevity of some of those careers, Mike Riley and Bob Babbitt, et cetera, um, you know, Mike Riley obviously been calling races forever. That's such a, um, they're such an institution, aren't they? It's, it's, you know, anytime you hear him you talk and you get on a plane and you see him going to the race and they're like, oh, you know, the, the athletes, the age groupers are going to be, you know, in for a treat to, ha- treat to have him call you across the line because he, you know, he makes everybody feel damn special for having accomplished a, a hell of a thing. Um, and it's, you know, and same thing with Babbitt. Babbitt's just a, a absolute historian, just encyclopedia for the sport. And he's, you know, he's been there and done it, done it all. It's like, it's amazing. Even think about even before he was into triathlon, he was or actually when, when he was early on his triathlon, his, his roommate was Ned Overend, who's an, um, uh, Ned's a soccer. legendary, yeah, legendary mountain biker. And, um, you know, he's, he's been party to tons of historic things just you know and just good buddies with all these athletes too whether it's you know paul newby fraser and 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 all of the san diego crew here um it's yeah he's a he's a, a, re- a hell of a resource you still see i mean you, you, being in san diego though you'd still see you know some of those legends floating around wouldn't you um who are still incredibly active are there people you still see who are you know um, I remember Luke Bell talking the story about riding in Boulder with an older guy who he didn't really know who it was and, you know, he kept getting his legs torn off every time he went up a climb and then figuring out later it was Andy Hamston, um, <laughs> former Giro Italia winner. Um, you know, there's still plenty of people floating around San Diego, though, with that sort of pedigree. Yeah, totally. I mean, you'll see any given day, you'll see John Howard who won yeah. Kona back back in the 80s. Um, you know, see him cruising around. Um Obviously, Paul New Paul Newby Fraser. She she doesn't ride road anymore, but I'll ride mountain bikes with her every so often. Haven't ridden with her in the last last year or so, but you know she'll she and some of her friends will call up and we'll go hit uh, some of the trails out back on a mountain bike, which is always a good time. And uh, with with she and it'll be like she and her husband Paul Huddle, um, Heather Fear as well. Um, yeah, it's. There's still there's still a small crew out here in San Diego. It's it's definitely getting a little bit overrun in terms of, um, in terms of housing developments and stuff. So a lot of the roads and stuff that people were riding on back in the day are kind of overrun a bit. But, um, but yeah, some of the classics are still out here, kind of cruising around. Do you find it? Do you find you spend more time on a mountain bike these days than road? You know, I'm riding, riding my gravel bike a ton. Been super into gravel. Like I still, I was actually planning planning on doing uh 70.3 honey with my wife this summer when until yep. obviously the panic um, pandemic hit um so i love still doing oh i've got my cat here i love still doing um um doing triathlon but man love the the variety of, of cycling that's out there and i still do a bit of mountain biking but gravel's really got me right now like just enjoy um basically doing all the same mountain bike trails but without suspension on a bike with 700c wheels <laughs> Just a bit more of a beer. Yeah, a good time. There's, um, yeah, we're the same. We're down the coast. We've got plenty of trails. It's um, mountain biking's alive and well. It's um, and also gravel. It's just it seems that you know road, um, you can avoid a lot of angst. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you know there's people getting hit hit by cars out here as well. So that's another reason to hit the trails is to get away from all the traffic on the roads. Yeah, no shit. 
Mate, it's been a pleasure having a chat to you about all things um, swim, bike and run. Your knowledge as well, you know, career is still going strong, but certainly you are an insider who knows these things. Um, it's been great having a, a little bit of a chat to you. I wanted this to go half an hour, but we're at 55 minutes, which means <laughs> Kevin's going to look at me again. Um, <laughs> um, thanks so much for spending a bit of time with us. Uh, where can we, where can folks, so they want to follow you on the socials, where are you at? Um, on Instagram, I'm... Uh, J it's J A Y low dash pursuing P R A S U H N and Twitter just uh, uh, at J Pursuing and uh, yeah dude thank you man it's been it's been great catching up it's it's uh, it's tough with the pandemic to see all my see all my road friends like yourself at uh, at races but hopefully we can get back to it again I can see you at uh, see, see you at the races. Awesome, thank you so much for uh, for stopping by. For sure, thanks man. Thanks for listening to The Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at The Life of Try.